0: Hi. You're nice and close, Sarah with an H. And you took my seat. No, I know, that's all right. This one's open. Good morning, everyone. I thought it'd be fun today to, uh, in light of uh, what we had as a, as a uh, visual aid this morning, baptism of repentance. And I'm going to use a story out of the Old Testament. We've been reading, for those of you who are visiting, we've been reading together through the Scripture in this version of the Bible, uh, the Daily Bible, which puts it all in chronological order, kind of explains it a little because maybe you've noticed sometimes when people read the Bible they go, huh? Anybody ever notice that? Maybe you went, huh? And uh, this helps sort it out a little bit. It's very useful. I've gotten so many positive uh, bits of feedback about it and uh, everywhere we've used it, it seems like it's been that way. So I I thought about a baptism of repentance and I'll explain what I mean in just a minute, but if you would like to get one, we still can get them for you. Uh, Talk to Jody. She's sitting in the back row right there, smiling and holding up her version of she has an extra one in her hand. So you who are desperate, don't let her get out of the building. Okay, there you go. So if you uh, think about this uh, phrase, we had a visual aid this morning. We had, we had uh, the practice of baptism, two things that Jesus commanded that would act out the gospel. Right? The good news, the gospel, that God rescues people who are separated from him, which, by the way, is the whole human race, left to ourselves, The good news is, is he will restore us in relationship with him if we come his way. And so that gives you a little hint of the word repentance, meaning I changed my mind. I'm going this way. I'm willing to turn around and go the other way. That's what's involved in that. And uh, throughout the New Testament, you have pictures. You also have pictures in the Old Testament. In fact, the midpoint was when John the Baptist, that's not me. (laughs) I have been called that on an occasion. However, no. John the Baptist, that segue prophet, right, between Old Testament and New Testament, who says, "Make way, the, uh, prepare the way of the Lord for Jesus to come on the scene, and actually baptizes Jesus, not because he needed a baptism of repentance, but because he was leading the way as the first of his church, and everyone else was going to follow in his footsteps, so to speak, showing obedience, if you will, to the Father. John the Baptist comes on the scene preaching a... In fact, let me just show you the verse. The Baptist appears in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What forgives sins? Water. It washed it away, right? No, thank you, somebody was on their game there. I was like, everybody's like, okay, this is news to us, but... <laughs> The water is an outward visual aid, correct? So John the Baptist would say to people they would come like the Pharisees came, some of them to get baptized. He said, you generation of vipers. That's back when they used to preach real user-friendly sermons. <laughs> hey, you snakes, what are you doing here? And uh, they, were, they were broken and they were um, under conviction. And he would say to them, well, if you're going to get baptized, bring forth fruits of repentance exactly show that you've changed your mind you stealing from people stop stealing make it right are you misusing people or pushing them around bullying stop doing that stop act- start acting like you know you really know god for a change that's what he did and so he was preaching a baptism of repentance and you can see the visual if my heart has gotten clean before god the outward action of washing is a picture of that Sin being washed away, a fresh start, right? Anybody ever come home from a day in the city and you just can't wait to get in the shower, right? Get all that grubby smog off you and what have you. I see city workers shaking their heads, yes. You know what I mean. There's a fresh start. And that's kind of the picture when John the Baptist comes on the scene. Jesus takes that and takes it further and says, it's not just a picture of having your sins washed away, it's a picture of being united with me. You're a follower of mine. I'm telling you to do this. It's like putting on a uniform when you join the military. You know, you may have joined last week, and I can't tell because you're still in your civvies, right? But the minute you put that uniform on, everybody knows, oh, there he is. You know, he's, he's Army. He's Air Force. We know. And Jesus said, this will be the mark of my followers. And another thing, you're identifying with him in death, burial, and resurrection. I thought this morning was a good picture, and what we're about to uh, look at in the Scripture from the Old Testament is the same kind of picture, but in the time of John the Baptist and Jesus and his disciples, it says over and over again, because some people observe, we actually immerse people completely in water. Like, how radically fanatical is that? Why do we do that? Because after the Reformation, as people began to dig back into the Word of God, they discovered, hey, did you notice something? Did you know the first Baptist-type people were not immersionists? Did you know that? The Anabaptists baptized by pouring because that's what they had learned from Catholicism. It made sense. Later, as they dug into the Scripture, they said, hey, look at this. Everywhere you read about baptism, it says they go down into the water, and then they come back up again. Well, why do you go down? Why was John the Baptist baptizing near a- 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 an Anon near Salem? well pronounce that yourself. Uh, near Salem, because there was much water there. Why do you need much water? Because they would go down into the water and come back up. It would be a, a bath, a, an immersion, a washing away to dip in and be cleansed. And so that's the pattern that was involved. And so jesus commandeers that and says let me tell you what else is pictured in this here's water imagine that water as the grave as ground jesus died on the cross for our sins he was buried did he stay there he rose again from the dead and we're identifying with him we're kind of acting out the gospel in death burial resurrection i like the way you put it sean this morning you know start new the new life you know i'm 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 in and the old life i'm gonna that's what you said i'm gonna bury the old life i'm here to put it to death that's exactly the visual in the waters of baptism that's the whole point now that has to happen in your heart before you do it physically and that's what happened all right so don't get confused if i just have some magic done to me that'll save me that doesn't that's not how it works what saves is the finished work of Jesus that I trust in to cleanse me from my sin. But then I want to follow him and act it out. Okay. So I want to tell a story out of the Old Testament. Those of you who are reading through the Daily Bible, I'm really throwing you for a loop today because I'm picking a story you're not even remotely close to. But I'm the pastor, so I can do what I want. <laughs> You'll be getting to it when you go through the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And in the life of Elisha, there's a phenomenal little story. You know, Elijah and Elisha were famous for their miracles, some of which Jesus repeated, those kind of miracles. And raising the dead, for example, that's in there, right? Uh, making things last forever, the feeding of the 5,000, making food last, extending a little bit of food to feed a, a multitude, he did that as well. So Elijah and Elisha were both pictures of the coming Messiah, Jesus gave a hint into some of the things that he would do when he showed up, which Jesus did, and you can read about that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your, in your New Testament. If you want to make sure I'm not making anything up, the Bible in your, in your seat, it's page 386 and 387, the story I'm about to share with you. But I'm just going to tell you the story, and we're going to do this fairly quickly, just for the fun of it today as well as to have a bit of an understanding of what God calls us to. When, when there is a baptism of repentance, God's still calling us to that, really, as followers of Jesus and those who need to become followers of Jesus. So allow me to tell the story. I've got to give you a little background. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, let me move past that, Israel, as they get away from God, they end up having enemies attack them, right? Right? They have wars. Uh, Somebody said to me this morning, "I'm glad I'm out all that major warfare because it's like a lot of it." One of the reasons I think the Bible is so much so trustworthy is because if you were trying to start a religion, you wouldn't write the stories that are in the Bible because it makes followers of God look kind of goofy sometimes. You ever notice that? Uh, It's real. It's excruciatingly real about how broken we are. It really is. But there were wars. God allowed the enemies of, of Israel to test them. One of the enemies that became a big problem during the times of Elijah and Elisha were the Upper Kingdom. There, see the Kingdom of Aram Damascus. See that? Uh, those of you who've never looked at one of these, that just gives you a little idea of where Israel is on the Mediterranean Sea. You get that? You can see Jerusalem. Wait, oh, I have a little doohickey on this, don't I? All oh, right, look at that. How cool? High tech. I figured it out, Mom. <laughs> so right down here is Jerusalem. This is the southern kingdom, which David's tribe kept, right, when the kingdom got divided. If you haven't seen that yet, as you read the, the Old Testament, you'll get the story. Uh, they end up divided because, again, of disobedience and, and uh, not listening to what God says. So that's Jerusalem. The northern kingdom, the other ten tribes, are called Israel. So as you move your way through the... Scripture, you talk about Judah and you talk about Israel, like they're two different things. Well, that's because they're divided, but it's all part of the Jewish kingdom, right? Now, this northern truck, whoops, I hit the wrong button. See, technology and me do not get along very well. Up here, anybody know what's, what country this is today? Yes, lots of news, right? This is Syria. But back then, it was called Aram, and the Arameans would periodically come into Israel and attack and make raids. One thing that happened that you really should know, because it plays into today's story. One time when they made a raid, and they took captives, one of those captives comes into today's story. But one time they came into Israel, and they were surrounding a city... Because every time they made a military plan, somehow espionage was happening. Every time, espionage was happening. In other words, the king of Israel would find out what they were going to do and would defend himself. And the king of Aram was pulling his hair out. I don't know if he had hair, but I think he was pulling his hair out. And he said, who's ratting on us? Which one of you guys is a spy? Where's the mole? And one man finally said to him, "Uh, I hate to fill you in on this, but there's this prophet over there, Elijah, and everything you say in your bedroom, he's telling to the king. Whoa, talk about psychic. Can God do that? Of course he can do that. If we think there's psychics today, which, by the way, there's phony ones and then there's real ones. Are there real powers there? Yeah, it can be from God or it can be from the negative spirit world of Satan. Right. Either way. But the point is, that's exactly what happened. And so, they said, "Let's take out this prophet." So they surround his city. Some of you'll know. Any of you have been around a while? Anybody read the Bible before? Anybody still awake? Some of you are not. Um, Anyway, they surround the city. And his servant says, oh, we're in trouble. Look at all these bad guys. And remember what Elisha says? Lord, open his eyes to see that the ones who are with us are more than the ones who are against us. And then as they start to close in, he says, strike them with blindness, Lord. And he strikes them with blindness. They lead this army by the hand right into Samaria. And when the king of Israel sees all of these Aramean soldiers poking around like this, He says, should I kill them? To the prophet. Shall I kill them? He goes, if you captured them, would you kill them? No, they'd be POWs. Treat them rightly. And so they did, and they went home. And from that time on, the Arameans stopped raiding Israel. They said, okay, we've had enough of this. Let's make nice. So they made nice for a while. It's in this period while they're making nice that today's story begins. The king of Aram has a... Great military leader, five-star general, famous, well-liked, popular, probably wanted to run for office. You know, the people would have liked to have had him run for office. He had in his household one of the, one of the little girls that was stolen from the land of Israel. By the way, with today's news, uh, no question what side we should stand on when it comes to slavery and all of that, right? Right? Should be pretty obvious to us as believers what's right and wrong. That uh, you know, some of the crazies and the KKK and all of that is a, a little bit anti-Jesus. Would you agree with me? Okay, but sometimes in stories in Old Testament and in the Jewish community, a person who was enslaved ended up being a part of the family and loved being in that family. And this little girl, it tells us, loved her mistress and her master. That's Naaman and his wife and one day she's thinking about her master and there was one sad part to his life I mean he had speedboats, private pool he had everything but he had a problem he had leprosy we don't know exactly what kind that was a disease of the skin communicable very inconvenient you had to spend a lot of time in isolation it was a hardship it was a burden And this little girl says oh that my master knew about the prophet in Samaria that's in the kingdom of Israel oh that he she oh that he would know about that prophet because he could heal him I'm glad I wasn't the pastor in Samaria that week so what happened his the king He goes to the king and says, hey, I heard about this prophet that can do miracles. Would you mind if I go? And the king said, yeah, take a good gift, you know, bring bring your political entourage, make a big hoopla, bring a lot of money, all kinds of credit cards and all kinds of gifts and all the latest, the Calvin Klein fashion. I mean, they had it all, all packed up and, and and the master sends them off. And Naaman comes to Israel looking for the prophet. So here's what happens story goes like this. Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger, it's, without a doubt it's Gehazi, we know him from the rest of the story, but he sends Gehazi out to him and says, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, anybody else uh, picking up on anything yet? I gave you notes if you're a note-taker. I'm telling you the story. Now we're going to come to the exciting part. <laughs> because he comes with all of this political entourage. Can you picture this? You know, it's a caravan. It's dignitaries. You ever you ever watch any of this political stuff when our, our dignitaries travel around the globe and they meet and it's all this hoopla and it's a photo op and all of that? That's what's happening here. And Elisha says to his servant, Would you go out and deal with this guy? Just just tell him what to do. Go out, dip in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be healed. So, how did that go? How do you think that worked for us? Naaman was furious. And went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Surely he'll do a religious doodah of some sort, you know, anoint me with oil, do something, make a fuss, pray a magnificent, surely he'll be religious and, you know, let's see some action here. He's furious. Ah, the flesh. Are you all following me? That's the flesh. Do you know what I'm talking about? My wife told me weeks ago I had to define it. That's your sin nature at work. I don't like that. I don't like the way this went down. This doesn't make me happy. In other words, I'm confronted with the gospel. I don't like that. What do you mean I have to repent? What do you mean I have to stop doing this? I was doing a wedding and interacting with some fine folks and uh, this person spoke to me and he said "Uh, well what does God think about marijuana I'm like you don't want to know the answer because obviously you're asking for a reason (laughs) our flesh said yeah but I think that's dumb okay think it's dumb Naaman says what's with this guy and he goes off in a huff guess what he's still a leper Fill in the blanks. I can go through tons of illustrations of how our flesh derails the blessing of God from coming to us. Because we stiffen our neck and we say, that's garbage. I've heard people say the gospel is too simple. It's not intellectual enough. Really? So God saves us on the basis of our intellect. Then some of us are really in trouble. Is that how it works? It's too difficult, or it's too demanding, or I don't like it. I remember one time uh, a a gentleman who was in a... He actually was in bondage, and he knew it. And his spouse was telling him, you need to go make an appointment with these pastors because God, God can free you of this. And his attitude was, well, I'm a Christian, and... There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. So why do I need to talk to anybody else? When he finally caved in and came to my office, I said, you had to come here specifically because of that stinking attitude of yours. Because God was saying, until you bend, until you come my way and stop being a know-it-all, you're not going to get free. And the good news was he did get free. He did. It was fun. <laughs> Anybody remember the book of Jonah? Heard a great sermon on Jonah one time. Little outline. Four, four short chapters. Jonah is the one who was sent as a missionary to Nineveh, the enemy of Israel, right? He hates those people. So the way the story goes is, chapter one, Jonah is told to go preach to them. What does he do? He runs for his life. I don't want to go. So he gets in a boat and he goes the opposite direction. Everybody know that? So here's the outline. He runs away. He gets swallowed by the big fish. It's not a whale. It's a big fish. I don't know what it was. And he repents. And he cries out to God because I'm drowning down here. This is not good. God delivers him. And now he goes to Nineveh. And at the end, something else happens. Nineveh repents They come God's way, and he's mad about it. What a rotten Christian. He's just like me sometimes. Can you imagine? Anybody get what I'm saying? So the way this was outlined by this preacher is man running from God. This is the story of Jonah. Man running from God. Man running to God. Man running with God. Man running God. And there's the flesh. I'm going to run God. I'm going to tell him how this needs to go down because I don't like it this way. I don't like that music. I don't like that kind of ministry. I'm telling you we're going to do this whether God says so or not because our flesh wants to tell him what to do. Well, thank goodness Naaman had good fellow friends, servants who loved him and said, Sir, when they followed him storming off in his little hissy fit, they said, Hey, hey, uh, Sir, if he had asked you to do something really amazing like sell your Lamborghini and give it to the prophet or to the Jews, wouldn't you do it if it was some huge thing? Wouldn't have you done it? You know, of course you would. And he calmed down. He goes, yeah, I guess you're right even though this river is kind of smelly compared to the rivers I'm used to back in Damascus, which is a really cool metropolitan city. you know. And so he caves in. He comes back. I, I imagine, I wonder how sheepish he was at that point. But he goes and he actually dips in the Jordan River how many times? Se- not three, not five, seven times, and what happens? Even if you didn't read the story, guess. He gets healed. He's completely healed. All right. What had to happen? Oh, I hate that word. Anybody hear it? It's obedience. Obedience. Let me show you a scripture. Scripture is clear. This is in the same chapter. We were having a dialogue with, uh, with some of our mentorees about this very verse because it's in the same chapter as John 3.16. Can anybody quote John 3.16 for me? I know we can do better than that. God so loved the world. Very good. You pass. That same verse of God's great love for the world, here's what it says. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not, what, what, what? What, what, what? Where did that come from? He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let me just say, that word, the wrath of God, that just triggers all kinds of confusion and silliness. People think of a God who's going, <laughs> I think I'll blow you up, you know, that that's not who he is. Let me just give you a quick definition. The wrath of God is the settled disposition he has against sin. Like we're, we're appealing today nationally, can we have a settled disposition against hatred, you know, race hatred or what? Can we make up our mind that that's wrong? A settled disposition, that's what God has against sin so it's not some kind of a hissy fit at all but a settled disposition but in that same chapter about the love of God it speaks of this very issue so let me move on rather than parking on that simply that God in order to remain just and holy has to deal with sin in a just and holy way and the only way he could do that to rescue us was somebody had to pay the death penalty which he did eternally in his son But here's what it says. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life. Why does it say that? Well, I'm going to give you a hint because listen to this. You know what the the Greek word is that's translated there? See if you can guess what this means. Apatheo. Don't we think of apathy as a negative? We do because it's when I should care about something and I'm... It's a nasty... Not caring, right? It's not ignorance. It's, I don't care. And that's the root. And here's the way it's translated in two other places. Whoever rejects the son, that's the NIV. I like the next one better. I think it captures what it's saying. In the New Jerusalem Bible, it says, but anyone who, what? Refuses to believe. I was taken up short one day. There's a guy on the radio named... um, mcdonald anybody know who i mean tom, is it tom mcdonald that pastor big church he's on the, he's a good preacher huh james, james mcdonald that's the guy because somebody called me and said you know this guy reminds me of you and i said that's because they always steal my stuff that's why i don't listen to these guys they're always stealing my uh, that's a little in joke right christine that's a little in joke. in Every time she talks to me, she says, I was listening to this guy, and he's saying exactly what you're saying. I said, that's because he's got my office bugged and keeps stealing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't have. <laughs> it's just funny. Hey, sorry, you guys. I'm sorry you guys don't have a sense of humor. I just sounded in wrong Anyway, I'm listening to him one day, and he talked about this very thing. And he was talking about faith and how it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. And all of a sudden, as he was speaking, maybe you're out there today and you have chosen not to believe. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's like 90 percent. Right. That's like 90 percent. There are those who occasionally I'm having trouble with this intellectually. If they were really honest, they would seek it out because there are answers to those intellectual dilemmas. You don't assassinate those. People for 2,000 years who have gone through the waters of baptism are not all morons. I hate to fill you in on that. They're not. Some of them were brilliant. Some of the beginnings of our science as we know it today were started by Christians. You understand that? But we don't take the time to dig that out. It's true. You refuse to believe. It's like, oh man, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Jesus loves you. He cares about you enough to give his life, to interpose his blood (laughs) in the way to rescue you, but I refuse to believe, because I don't like it. I don't like this. I don't like that. Oh, I might have to do that. Oh, I know, all those churches, all they want is your money. I know, once you become a Christian, you can never have any fun. I guess I never became a Christian. Anyway... I'm having more fun than uh, I'm... Really, it shouldn't be legal. But anyway, the flesh reaction. But here's the point. In your notes, I wrote this. There's a choice involved, is there not? Choice, the choice is obedience is an appeal to your will, not to your intellect. Yes, your intellect may be involved. Yes, your emotions may be involved. I've seen people get very emotional about Jesus and be lost. I've seen people know lots of knowledge about what the Bible says about Jesus and be lost. It's a choice of the will. I need to respond to his invitation to follow him. So, this dear man made a choice and look what happened he chose to obey he was baptized if you will in a moment of repentance isn't that true i mean it was a literal baptism he immersed himself seven times aren't you glad we only do once yeah i know when i get candidates up there they're like well am i going to live through this yes i've never lost a customer yet not once i've had really big guys and i've never lost them and aren't you glad we're not uh, certain sects who baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? And you hold them under the last anyways. <laughs> so make sure they get it, you know? Seven times a baptism of repentance, and he gets it, and look what happens in the story. I love this ending. When he returned to the man of God with all his company, catch this, he came and stood before him, before who? Before who? Yeah, now Elisha came out to the gate. First time, we're going to have a little test of this man's flesh. How submissive is he? How serious is he to do what is right in order to be delivered? And once he knows, he was serious. He followed, he had a little fit, yes, but he followed through. Anybody remember the story of Jesus saying to. Uh, about two sons where a father goes out and says, would you go out and work in the field? And one said, oh, yeah, I'll go do it. And then he went and partied with his friends. The other kid said, get lost. I ain't working today in the field. You're always pestering me, Dad. And then he repented, and he went out and worked in the field. Jesus asked a simple question. Who did the will of his father? He had a little flesh reaction, a little hissy fit. He got over it, and he chose to obey. He acted on his will choice. He stood before Elisha. Elijah now comes out and says, hey, how'd, I, how'd it go for you? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be there in some of these? You know, just listen in. So, so how'd it go? He said, behold now, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. I'm convinced. I'm converted. I'm going to follow this God of Israel, Yahweh, also known in our latter days as Jesus the son of God, right? And he said, um, you know, I got a problem. I am a political dignitary. When I go home, I'm going to have to go into this temple of Rimen, this thunder god, you know, with a thunderbolt in his hand. That's the kind of person he was, later Zeus, whatever. He says, my master, that is the king, leans on my arm because it's a big, you know, politics and religion were linked together back then, totally. And, uh... When I go in there, we got to bow down. Would, would, would Yahweh forgive me for that? I really am distressed about it. But is that okay? And he says, let me tell you what else I want to do. I'm this serious about it. This is amazing. This guy comes out fresh from Aramea, from, the, from Syria, and he gets this. There's no God in all the earth but in Israel. Please let your servant at least be given two mules of a load of earth. For your servant will no more offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods but to Yahweh, to the Lord. Isn't that cool? Why did he want dirt? Because that's the way they thought at that time. If I have a little of Israel dirt, I'll put it on the ground at home and I'll kneel down on that and I'll worship Yahweh and he'll hear me. And you know what? Elisha said, Boy, are you stupid theologically? We gotta we gotta straighten you out, you numbskull. You think that's what he said? No, he said, You obviously got it enough. And his last words are, and I love this ending, go in peace. Go in peace. Naaman was converted. Naaman came to know the true God and determined. He was he was like this baptism here. I'm determining from this day on, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he says. That's what he made up his mind to do. And that's when the prophet says, and the Holy Spirit says to you, oh, you finally stopped having a hissy fit? You're willing to come his way? Go in peace. Go in peace. Do you have to have it all together? No. Do you have to figure out all the theology? you have to have the Bible memorized? No. You can go in peace. Isn't that good news? So today, I don't know where you're at, whether you're a believer who's still having a hissy fit, or whether you are someone who's listening in, looking in, wondering about the gospel. This person, Jesus, is alive today. He still transforms people. The fact that you've run into some you're not too sure you can figure them out is irrelevant. He's still alive and real and gives the gift of life and says, go in peace if you come his way. So I'm just going to tell you that as I close this service right now, uh, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to pray together. If you want to search out either a fresh obedience or know what it means to trust Christ or just ask questions about it, I'll be staying up front and others will be with me to help you out if you want to talk. Okay? Let's stand together. If you can. If you can, not stay seated. Thanks for those who have gone through the waters of baptism today, God, identifying in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of our souls. Thank you that uh, they gave clear witness. They have trusted you. You have started a new work in their lives, and we're grateful. And Lord, we need you to do new works, really, more often in our lives than we often give you permission. Transform us, help us, help those who perhaps are listening and saying, just not sure about this, show them your love for them. It's more than our love, that's for sure. And that you care enough and every single human is of value to you, which is why you interposed your blood on our behalf. I'm asking God for you to minister to people where they are, in or out, for your namesake, I commend your people to your grace. Angelically protect them in this week. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Go in peace. Unless you want to come forward and talk. See you later.